His brother was a law enforcement officer, chief of police. He was shot and killed in the line of duty. He was executed. And he's here to talk about what he and his family went through, what it's taken to get to where they're at today, and the group that's helped them. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Who can first responders turn to when they need help? Shatterproof at FHE. Providing world-class, exclusive treatment services for first responders suffering from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and or substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you find details about Shatterproof. Calling us from great state of Oregon, Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Alan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. By the way, folks, Alan is not a law enforcement officer. Alan is a construction guy, and but his brother was a law enforcement officer, and we'll be talking more about that. People don't understand the Law Enforcement Today show, even though the title is Law Enforcement Today. We have guests on who are spouses, siblings, survivors. We even have firefighters, EMTs, dispatchers on as guests, and we've opened this up for people who have gone through horrific crimes because... There's so much about their stories that we can all take some inspiration from. And quite often, they all say the same thing. No, no, give me a platform. And Law Enforcement Today is your platform. So if you ever want to be a guest on a show, just reach out and contact me. My email address is j at lawenforcementtoday.com or go to our Facebook page and, and contact us there. Alan, uh, like I said, you, you're a construction guy, but you also used to do construction with your brother, correct? We did. We started out in business. Uh, Ralph went on to college right after high school to get his law degree, his two-year degree, criminal justice. And in the meantime, uh, things just weren't opening up for them, so we went into painting. We painted for about 10 years together off and on. Being slowed down in the late 70s, he went to work for a union shop. I went to work for a different shop. And uh, then we rejoined back in the early 80s and did that until he became a police officer. I had a lot of good years. It was a lot of fun. You know, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. We actually had a great time working together. Uh, didn't always agree, but that's well, brothers. That's, that's, that's what you know, siblings that's, do. That's we life. love each other, but we don't always get along. And that, that comes <laughs> with the territory. Right. So he went into a career yeah. in law enforcement. He did. He had tried the whole time we were in construction. Uh, he actually had tried. He was a reserve officer that whole time. And he had tried to get on full time several agencies, mostly local, because he wanted to stay around the area. That's the area we grew up in. And he wanted to stay there, but just nothing seemed to open. You know, I'm sure a lot of officers have heard that, well, if we were hiring two more people and they're only hiring one, he'd be the next guy. Well, he got, he heard that so many times he was just tired of hearing it. Yeah. And that was back, what, in the 1980s? 
That was, in, yes, from about, I would say from about 80, 81 to, and he became a full-fledged officer in 86, 87. And that's the way it was in a lot of places in the United States. And when I got hired in Baltimore in 1980, they were in the few agencies yeah. that were hiring because the other smaller agencies in Baltimore, in Maryland, they had no problems getting people. But Baltimore was recruiting from everywhere. And now, across the United wow. States, almost every agency has a recruitment shortfall. And that is even true here. Uh, my son-in-law just became a county, uh, he worked for the county jail. And I know he's anxious to get out on the road at some point. But he, he's willing to pay his dues and, you know, do his time to be working the jail and stuff. But Ralph certainly had to do that. He was a road officer first. And I remember him telling me some stories when he first became a road officer, some of the uh, fun stuff that happened. Uh, but he, he paid his dues. I mean, he had, to, he had to buy his time to, you know, to eventually work up to be chief. Uh, didn't happen overnight. You know, and sometimes things just fall into place. And he was so, chief of police of a small agency in Oregon? He was. Yes, he was. Rainier, Oregon, right across from, they have a bridge between us and Washington. He's, he lived on the on the Oregon side of that bridge, uh, the Longview Bridge. So, and what uh, was the name of the uh, town or city he was a chief? Uh, Rainier, Oregon. Rainier, Oregon. We grew up in St. Helens, which is about 20 miles south of Rainier. And uh, he happened to just fall in love with Rainier. Uh, I don't think, I mean, if he was to tell you, if he was here today, he'd tell you, his intention was never to stay there. He wanted to get into a bigger agency where he had the potential to, you know, climb the ladder. Uh, he never saw that opportunity. I don't think he saw that potential there at Rainier at first. But he stayed long enough to do where he eventually did become chief. So, and you say he rode the if, wave, though. If he, he was still he here, because things took a very tragic turn in his career, didn't they? They did. They did. Uh, they certainly did. He was killed in the line of duty in 2011. January 5th of 2011. And uh, I think if you were to ask Ralph today, construction or police work, he still would have put, picked police work. That he would have picked, he wanted to be an officer. That's all, when he was a little kid, that's all he ever wanted to do. In fact, he geared his life towards that. So, And it's, uh, I always tell that, people, it's almost like a, a vocation. It's a calling for a lot of people. There's some people go I into work. I, yeah, some people go into it. For, you know, pay or benefits, well, not great pay, but for benefits or security, yeah. whatever else, and then fall in love with it and stay. And others uh, will come for a short period of time and leave. But there's a, a large segment of people in law enforcement that have wanted to do this since they were little kids. I absolutely believe that. I believe a, a police officer, a fireman, doctor, uh, they, they just seem to know from early on uh, what they were supposed to be. And... Uh, I've told the story several times before, but, you know, little kids, we grew up in the 50s and 60s. We had cops and robbers back then. Um, I always had to play the bad guy. <laughs> and, of course, I always got to play the cop. You got to play the cop. We, back then, we called it, we called it cowboys and Indians. I know that's not politically correct nowadays, but that's what we called it back then. And uh, he got to be the cowboy. I had to be the Indian. So you were always, uh, you always got to be the, 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 the robber and the cops and robbers. And, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It was funny though with the Cowboys and Indians because, uh, we found out later on, a little later on in life that we actually had some Native American in our, in our background, in our, in our uh, heritage. And I thought, hmm, that kind of made me proud to be the Indian, the, you know, back in them days. So, yeah. That wasn't such a bad thing, you know, so. So your brother, yeah. uh, Ralph was his first name and the last name is Painter. And he was Ralph chief. Arthur, 
Ralph Arthur Painter. Painter. Mm-hmm. And he's killed uh, yeah. in 2011, is what you said? January 5th, 2011, that is correct. What happened? He, well, I, I know a little bit more behind the scenes story. Uh, let's say he got a call. He got a call in his office. There was a young man in a stereo store where they install stereos in Rainier. It's just a very small town. Rainier's not a big town. Um, got a call from the, uh, the manager of the store that said that some kid was sitting in a car, one of their showroom cars, um, and he was just listening to the stereo. Their assumption was that he was going to try to steal the car. So, of course, they called the police. Uh, Ralph is not supposed to be on duty, per se. He's cheap, you know, but he will go out on a call if need be, and he did. And um, he asked the young man to get out of the car. He would not. So Ralph sprayed him with pepper spray. Either the pepper spray was, wasn't very effective or something happened. Um, the story we get is there, there was another person in the garage. I don't know if Ralph turned for a second to back that person off and not have him get involved. But at some point, the young man came out of the car and he punched Ralph and, and uh, eventually knocked him out. And Ralph laid on the, on the floor of the garage and the young man proceeded to go back and sit in the car. As he was sitting in the car, he turned over, recognized, saw the badge, recognized, oh, that's a cop. He just decided to go pull his, his duty um, gun and, and shoot him with it. That's the story we get. Now, mind you, up to this day, I just recently got the police report, so I know a little bit more about what happened that day, but it doesn't really go into detail uh, on that. That's kind of amazing that it doesn't have a lot of detail. We, we wrote very detailed reports, especially well, that's I think I, if it was involved in officer being hurt, there was a tremendous amount of details. and I mean, nothing was left unreported in those reports. Well, and what I told you, I think, I think, it's, been, um, I think it's been blocked out in areas. I can't, I can't prove that. I haven't seen the official. You know, we're, we're getting a copy of it. I, I, can't, I can't say that for sure. It just seems awful vague in some areas. Um, I, I, and I don't want to accuse anybody of doing that. I just, it just, it's very vague. It's more of a, a report from every officer that was there that day, because there were plenty. Uh, you know, when an officer gets shot, they, they show up in numbers. Yeah. And they did. And every officer, every agency has to file a report. And you have copies of that, but I don't see any. And it's not that I want to, I don't want to know all the gory details, but you kind of want to know what happened that day. And, um, we were told just before we went into a hearing here recently, uh, in more detail what happened. And that's how we know a little bit more than what we, and we've had to be so cautious of what we allowed to get out to the media because we were assuming we would go ahead toward the trial. Well, you don't want to give the defense any ammunition to Absolutely. you that you, that you've leaked stuff to the media, that you've done this, you've done that, you tried to sway a jury. We have played that, we have walked that wire so tight that I mean, the DA is commended as a family for, for not catering into the media and stuff. So, uh, well, we, on we that really note, we're going to take a short break. We're talking with Alan Painter about the the murder of his brother, Police Chief Ralph Painter. And we'll be right back. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. 
what makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Back to our conversation with Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Alan's brother, Ralph, was a police chief in Oregon who was uh, murdered, killed in line of duty back in 2011. And these conversations, Ralph, are not easy for me to have. And, and I want people listening to understand that I don't like having these conversations. But these are things that need to be told. Otherwise, you don't have any real concept of what's happening. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but your brother, who is police chief, is a small agency, so when there's not enough people, he goes out on the call. It's a routine call, and I hate that word when it comes to law enforcement. A young man sitting in a car at a car stereo shop, and they think he might be trying to steal the car, and the guy uh, assaults your brother, uh, punches him, knocks him out, then takes his service revolver or service weapon and, and basically executes him. Is that it? That is correct. That's exactly That's exactly what happened. And that's one of the that's first things that we're always taught and, and all along is people don't understand this and the news media doesn't help. And by the way, I did a great job keeping details that's away from the media. Uh, we'll talk about why you can talk about it now. But the, the news media doesn't do a lot of information with it. Say, well, this officer shot an unarmed man. All too often, many, many officers, I don't know how the percentages, but many, many police officers in the United States who are killed in line of duty, who are shot and killed, are shot and killed with their own service weapon. They're assaulted, they're disarmed, the weapon's taken from them, and the, the bad guy, for lack of better words, will then execute that officer because they don't want to have the witness around. And when you get into a fight and a fight over your weapon, which I've been in, and that ended my career. Uh, the injuries of my, of my hand and all the surgeries, when the guy was trying to shoot me with my service revolver, that's how long ago it was, was still my hand and had it turned towards my face, it wound up destroying my wrist. I did everything in my power to try to shoot that guy and not get killed that day. Both of us survived. But that would have easily been a scenario where the news media would say, officer shoots unarmed man. And this is the scenario that killed your brother. It was a, initially an unarmed guy, wasn't he? That is correct. Well, 
And for a long time, the media has made the mistake of saying in, in the local papers and even on some radio, uh, local radio stations, they've made the mistake of saying that there was a struggle for the gun. There was never a struggle for the gun. He was knocked out. He was laying on the floor when the guy pulled his gun out of his holster and shot him execution style. So he was defenseless. And that's exactly, that's exactly how one of our state representatives, he knew Ralph and he's from that area. He, he said, that's exactly what he said on the Capitol floor here in, in, down in our, in our state Capitol is that this guy shot him execution style. That's his, that's his exact words. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, that's exactly how he shot him. And there was no struggle for the gun. There was never, any scuffle at all for the gun. Uh, he, he shot him in cold blood. Um, at that point, you know, I always thought if I was a young person and I got in a scuffle with an officer, I never would, but um, you have to think along those lines sometimes. Um, well, I just would have got out of there. I just would have ran for the Dickens, you know, and yeah. gotten the heck out of there. Uh, but there's, yes, there's certain people, one. and it's a very, very small percentage, but there's certain people, and uh, th- you have people who have never been in trouble a day in their life. You have people that might have to contact the police for whatever reason. You have people who have periodic arrests. If it wasn't drugs or alcohol, they'd never get in trouble with the law. And you have some criminals that even those aren't violent. And then you have a very, very small percentage that really want to inflict harm and damage. And yeah. those are the ones that create so, so much havoc. And not just for the death of your your brother, but something that impacts your whole family and the whole community. It does. It certainly does. You know, it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride with well the emotions and with all the with all the court stuff and all the hearings and all the stuff that goes along with that. It it's just been one big roller coaster ride, you know. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, when this is all, you know, when they get to a final point, you get closure. Well. I think that's a misnomer. I don't think you ever get closure. You learn to create a new normal, and you learn to move on. But part of that moving on is you have to create a new normal. And uh, I think as family members, that's what we've all done. Um, you, uh, you know, we, yes, we've been through. We've, we've, we've gone to court. He is sentenced to go to prison. But that's still not over yet either. You know, that, that's still ongoing. So, How old was your brother when he was killed? My brother was 55. Yeah, 55. That happened in January, so he was 55. And I'd be willing to uh, bet, and I don't want to make any of the conversation about the guy who killed him, of names and that stuff. I just don't believe in giving sure. any people any publicity at all. But I'd be willing to bet this was not his first encounter with the law, that he had prior incarcerations. It was not. I, I, you know, I don't know his, his history, but I believe he had had some scuffles with the law before. Certainly, he... His brothers have, and that's another whole story I think you're going to cover in a later story about his, his half-brother. The family certainly has had their scuffle with law, and it doesn't help when you have a dad that teaches his boys to fight whoever. You know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a kid learning to defend themselves, right. but when you teach them to fight those in authority, whether that be a teacher, a fireman, a police officer, or even a, even an adult as, a, as an authority figure, when you teach your kids to fight like that, they have no respect for authority. And this dad certainly did do that. He admitted that on TV several times and, you know, and just tried to blame Ralph that he wasn't a good fighter and stuff. Well, 
no officer should have to defend themselves against a young punk kid. Especially when you, you, you know, turn you, your head to, to protect someone else quickly, then you get sucker right. punched. That's what a lot of these are. People right. who, who love to talk that they're some big bad guy, and what they are is they're sucker punch experts. And the moment you drop your right. glance, and this is another reason why people don't understand, especially in the typical car stop, the officer was not friendly. Uh, I think he was too intense. Well, the minute you cut your glance elsewhere away from a possible threat could be is when you wind up getting hurt. We have an, an old saying in law enforcement, complacency kills. Uh, and, yep. and I'm not saying yeah. this as a negative against your brother. I'm not saying no. it occurred. But no. what when we take our attention off the potential bad guy for even a split second and put on someone else, yep. that's when we're in the most risk. Yep. Yep. You know, and it. Well, even his dad went on to say that, you know, that the prophet had better training. Well, you know, most officers get pretty good training um, uh, in, in, in all their training and stuff. Uh, he'd, he'd been through the academy. He'd been down for for, uh, for further training and stuff. I don't think there was training. When you get sucker punched like that or you get caught off guard, I don't think there's any defense against that. No. And we've seen you know, we've, like, we've seen very proficient uh, professional boxers that, that have great jaws. Uh, and that someone uh, hits them running the button unexpectedly, and they're out. And it's it's not it's, it's not a willpower thing. It's not a strength thing. When someone hits you right, punches you right on the button of the jaw, the chin, it right. short circuits right. everything. And you cannot, even if you're not knocked out, you cannot physically respond. Right. Your brain doesn't connect with your body. Yeah. Now there was another this other person that was in the garage. I believe he ran to the office. Uh, to get out of there for a second, he came back to try to help Ralph uh, revive, and that's when this young man pulled the gun and shot Ralph, and then he told this guy, and I believe, I think he even shot towards this other guy. Uh, the other guy, of course, ran into the office to protect himself, which I don't hold against him. No. You know, I, I mean, I don't I don't hold that against him. He's protecting his own life. At this point, I think they could probably tell Ralph was already dead, or at least pretty well injured. I mean, he was he, he certainly had his heart was in the right place. He was going to try to help Ralph, you know. But at this point, there was there was no helping him. So we don't. I, I certainly don't yeah. fault him for doing that. We are talking with Alan Painter uh, about his brother Ralph, a police chief in Oregon who was uh, killed in line of duty, shot and killed in line of duty. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return to our conversation with Alan Painter on our Law Enforcement Today show. Just for a brief recap, Alan's brother, Ralph, was a police chief in Rainier, Oregon. He was shot and killed in the line of duty back in 2011. Alan, I'm so glad you're coming on the show to talk about this. And Typically, we hear the term survivors, law enforcement survivors, we think of spouses. And all too often, myself included, I don't take into consideration siblings and parents my mother worried intensely daily when i was a police officer in baltimore 
and I didn't really comprehend it till after I retired. And she's still with us. My dad, too, but he passed away many years ago. But I never took the time to think about how it affected my siblings, my sisters. And so when your brother was shot and killed, when did you become aware or how did you become aware that, that something bad had happened? Well, I was at home getting ready for work. When I get a, I get a call from his oldest daughter that her dad had been shot. And I thought, well, wait a minute. He, he's chief. He doesn't normally go out on calls and stuff, which he does, I know, but I didn't know that. I thought, well, that's got to be a mistake. But I, I took, I took it to heart. So I thought, well, my first thought was I called, of course, I called into work, told him I wasn't coming in. I, I wanted to get to my mom's house because I didn't want her, I did not want her to hear about it on the media. I didn't want her to hear about it. And she knew that an officer, by the time I got there, she knew an officer right there had been shot, but she didn't know who. And, um, unfortunately, as she, and she stayed busy. We have lots of family in the area. So my cousins and aunts and uncles were there around her and stuff. But her way of dealing with something is she stays busy. She's really busy. And she did that day. But she, the minute she sat down just for just a couple minutes, they announced it on the news that the officer shot me there had died. They they announced it and she found out in the news. She found out in the news. The chaplain showed up like five minutes later. Let me yeah, clarify this. Just like, she found out the officer died, but she didn't know who it was until the chaplain arrived? She knew who it was at that point. She knew. Uh, um, I think she, they had mentioned, I don't know why the media go like they have to give names out. A lot of times they don't give names out right away. But I, I believe that day they did, and she knew. She just knew. You know, so they shouldn't. They should never give the names out un, until the family members have been officially notified. And the family members are where we did totally. notification. And it wasn't just law enforcement. I remember being a young police, and a dispatcher would call me and say, give me a call on the phone. And I called them and say, we have to, you have to do a death notification. Their son it was in a car accident in Ohio. Uh, here's their parents' name, here's his name, and he didn't make it. And you went to their house and you had to tell them. And it was a horrible yeah. thing to do. Death notifications are one of the worst things ever to do. But you don't want people finding out by something as impersonal as a television or radio or nowadays the internet and social media. Well, I totally well, My wife was sitting in a uh, restaurant. She actually had to come over. We have police in our family. That's not the only one. I have a brother-in-law and a son-in-law. And I have, I have a nephew that's Ralph's Rouse stepson's officer. So a lot of them have scanners. Well, you know, something on the scanner, and of course your ears are glued to it at that point. And my sister-in-law had heard, and her husband's an officer. And she called my my wife, her sister. And she found out in a restaurant. My wife, of course, had a right to my mom's house. She knew I would be there. So it, it's amazing how different people find out stuff. You know, and well, if I had any advice to give officers when they're out there, and I know that has to be the toughest thing to do in the world as an officer is, is to go to the house. But if you do, um, just be honest with people. Uh, I know they sometimes they try to hide. They don't want, they don't want to, they don't have to go into gory detail. No. Just be honest with people. Tell them, and there's tell no, them there's no honest. right way of saying these things. It, exactly. That's something that we were taught early on and you almost have to be, What's the old guy's dragnet thing, the facts? You just almost had to be just, look, I'm very, very sorry to tell you, your, your son, we got reports your son was killed in a car accident in Ohio. And and right. there's what can you say? There's nothing you can say that makes it any better for them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a powerless feeling. 
Well, and that's the unfortunate thing is if, if, because there was a case here, I've, I've gotten to be friends, I, you know, I didn't want to plug them too much, but I am part of the cops organization. Great organization, by uh, the way. Yeah, you can plug them all you want. They're phenomenal. I got involved with them about a, they won't let you get involved right away because they want you to get through that, some of that emotional stuff the first year, year and a half. But as soon as I could, I did. And, uh, boy, you hear some horrific stories. One was right here in Oregon. I've gotten to be friends with him. Uh, his brother was an officer and he actually was in a car accident with his car. Somebody rammed him and his car burst into flames. Well, when they came to the house to tell the parents, they, they told them that no, their son was, he was already dead, but that's not true. It wasn't true. They, the, the parents found out afterwards that no, he was alive when he was burning in the car. And what a horrific thing for a parent to find out afterwards, you know. And of course, they were angry. They were mad that, you know, they felt like they were lied to. And that's why I say, just, just as hard as that is, just be honest with people. They're going to appreciate that more uh, if they if they find out that that wasn't the total truth later on. Uh, just trying to save officers from having to live with that. And the range of reactions you get from people when you have to notify them. That mm-hmm. we, I've had people that were extremely angry. I've had people that were mm-hmm. very, very quiet and remorseful and sad. And others who were up and down, up and down. And some of them would, would yeah. verbally attack you. And you, you couldn't take it personally. You just had to realize this person just received some of the worst news they're ever going to get in their entire life. And yeah. it, it was your job to tell them. Right. And another story, um, just recently, that we had an officer a couple years ago. Well, been longer than that. Been, yeah, a couple of years ago, we had an officer killed in a coastal town. Well, when his dad heard about it, I don't even know that the police came to his house. I think he heard about it otherwise, probably from the scanner or something. He called the chief up and he says, um, I just want to, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm going to my gun safe. I'm grabbing my gun and I'm going to find that guy. Of course, the chief assured him, he goes, it's already taken care of. The other officer, he was, they were, they were they were issuing a, a warrant for this guy's arrest. He goes, the other, the other officer already killed him. Goes, you don't have to do that. And I thought, well, that's one reaction, you know, and I understand that anger. I, I do, you know, I don't, he never, thank goodness, he never followed through with any of that, but um, that's how, you're right, different people do respond differently. Oh, yeah. I've had people swing at me. There's been all, all kinds of things, and... One of the most difficult things I tell people I ever had to do, besides death notifications, is I got to know young people on my post that I worked when they were 10, 9, 11, and then several years later, when they were teenagers and they got in the drug game and they shorted the dealer or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, they wound up getting shot, and you're the one there that, that's trying to comfort them as they're taking their last breath. There's no one else around. Uh, well, the people right. that are around are, are loitering as if it's free entertainment. And right. there's no, there's nothing in any police academy that trains you for that either. Not what's going no. on and nothing that uh, for the aftermath afterwards. afterwards. But then right. we get to tell their right. mother that their 16-year-old son didn't make it. it, it yeah. And they get mad and they swing at you. You can't, you can't take it personal because that's what no, happens. No, Well, that's the worst news that any parent or any parent sibling, anybody could ever get. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, Alan, I can't imagine, having been in, in police work, I can't imagine being in your shoes and then finding out, and then finding out that it, not only was your brother's killed, and you have your own range of emotions you have to deal with, but then 
the very natural feeling that I want to protect my mother and, and I don't want her to suffer. And there's nothing you can do to prevent that either. No, she's a strong lady. I tell you, she, she, she's 80, going to be 80. She's 83. She's, she's a strong woman. Um, I love, I know a lot of my Ralph's kids have tried to smother her and say, well, we just don't want grandma to, you guys, she's tough. Yeah, she's emotional. I mean, she's just, she's natural to the parent. But she's, she's a tough older lady. She, she can handle this. She truth. didn't get to be in her 80s by being a softie. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. Returning our conversation with Alan Painter on the Law Enforcement Today show. Alan's brother Ralph was a police chief in Rainier, Oregon. Uh, he was shot and killed in line of duty back in 2011. And when we left for the commercial break, we we're talking about your mom and, and want to protect her and really have not focused a lot on, I mean, your brother was 55 when he was killed. So I'm imagining you're a little bit younger than him. We're a year and a half, uh, actually 16 months apart. Okay. So, so, we, you, so you're, you're in your fifties when you found out and oh, we have this stereotypical oh, yeah. image of men in their fifties that we stoic, we don't say anything, we don't talk, we don't cry. And none of that is true, by the way. We just may not do it in front of you, but we do that. Right. And, sure. and very little part of, very little of the attention is focused on what siblings went through. And in our own conversation, I really haven't put much of a focus on uh, what you went through. How were you when you found out what happened to Ralph? Well, you know, like I said, I was focused on my mom and other relatives. I knew I had relatives flying in from out of state. And uh, of course, you know, you try to be strong for them and uh, try to put on that good face, just as officers are trained to do, <laughs> to show the emotions and stuff. Not that I'm an officer, because I'm not. Um, I don't know. You try to be tough, but, you know, I had to realize that uh, I don't care how tough you, you try, what, what face you try to put on, it does touch you, you know. And I, I would say that was probably part of the reason I got involved with, with the cops organization is um, when we went to the memorial service, a local one here in Oregon, I saw many families that had been affected by a line of duty death. And I thought, well, they seem to have it together. How did they get through that? How, how, what was their journey? I mean, how, how did they manage that? And you start talking to them and you find out, yeah, it wasn't easy, you know, and, uh, but they managed to get through by leaning on each other. You know, you have the cops organization, you have retreats for just about every facet, you know, from, from parents to siblings to, uh, Spouses to coworkers to um, spouses of coworkers. I mean, we try to cover the whole gamut of who's affected by a line of duty death. In yeah. fact, I think they've even extended it now to extended family. 
Yeah, I've, so, I've, I've, was, I've been involved with COPS since uh, 89 uh, when my, my it's a great buddy, organization. My buddy Billy Martin was killed in line of duty. And I've heard that. I've actually heard that name before. And, uh, and it, it has a tremendous impact on the people that worked with them. It, and the first yep. responders that are on scene, uh, the, the law enforcement, the, the firefighters, the EMTs, I, I was lucky. I was I was never there. I never saw that happen to anybody. Yep. But I can only yeah. imagine the impact it has on them as well. Yeah. And you you know, you're right now. You said that a lot of times the parents and the siblings and the grandparents and, you know, and I, and I get it. The focus is on the spouse and the kids. I, I get that. But the parents get left out of a lot. They, they do. just do. That was that was another driving force for me to get involved with cops. I wanted to see some of the things that get that the spouse gets. I wanted to make sure the parents got a duplicate of that. Some of the medals and some of the things it, that doesn't always happen. But I just thought, you know, what if there's not a good relationship between that parent and that other spouse? What if what if that's the case? Uh, that parent, unfortunately, will never get to see some of those medals and some of the some of the things that happen after an officer is killed some of the some of the things that they get and i thought well you know what i i mean i can't change it you can't change things at a national level but i can certainly give input and i can certainly have gotten to know uh diane Bernard and, and before her some of the other uh, directors of uh, Susie sawyer and all them. by the way yeah, we're talking Susie. about concerns <laughs> of police survivors and her website is concerns of police org, and they're phenomenal phenomenal people and they've been doing great things for survivors of slain law enforcement officers, and they've been doing it for a very long time. Yes, they have. So, yeah, uh, I would say anybody go up and check that up on their website. It's a great organization. And you don't uh, have to be a survivor to want to help. You don't. And here's, you know, is th- this is something, Alan, that, and I've apologized. I've had uh, Billy Martin's widow on the show, uh, Kim, and I've known Kim since the day Billy was killed. And we've become friends, and I, there is a part of me that wants to run away when I have to have a conversation with her because I feel awkward. I don't know what to say. And there's always a fear that I'm going to say something wrong and make it worse. Which, And she explained to me, you can't make it worse because it's the worst <laughs> that could happen. The best yeah. thing you can do, and this is where all of us can help out, the best thing you can do is not ignore them. It's to... Yes. Hey, I'm your friend. I'll always be your friend. And we can talk about fishing if you want. Yep. If you want to talk about your brother, yep. we'll talk about your brother. But I'm here for you. Yep. And, you know, sometimes all they need is somebody to listen. They don't always need advice. You know, but somebody has lost somebody, especially an officer. They don't want a lot of advice. You know, they just they just want somebody to listen to them. And sometimes that's all you need to be is that sounding board for them. Uh, and, and And that's not bad. Uh, you don't have to make up something to try to console them. If if you feel like you have to do that, don't, because it won't be the right words. <laughs> just just listen to them. And, 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 that's all they really and, want. and don't disappear. Uh, don't don't abandon. And them. don't disappear. I totally agree. Totally agree. With and that. so yeah, many it, people have said people that don't, they don't know what to say, so they don't come around. You know, well, don't do that. Yeah, they they need people. And I'll say, you know, right after. Right after the services and stuff, you have a lot of people around. It's that next month, and then after that, people just start kind of falling off. And it's not that they forget, but I mean, I mean, let's be busy. Let's be honest. Life gets all of our lives get busy, and you move on with the rest of your life, and you kind of forget about the person that lost somebody. And um, and I mean, they gotta they gotta move on too. But it's a slower process. It can be a very slow process for them. 
one especially of the things, a spouse. One of the things we hear all the time uh, on television is that people get a sense of closure. Is there anything mm-hmm. that's even remotely close to that? I would say if closure for some would be in the incident of where the person that murdered an officer, if that person gets killed, I mean, I don't know what call that closure. Some would probably call that more equitable justice. Yeah. But um, to go through a trial and stuff, because it's so long and drawn out, uh, for us, you know, it's been, it was eight and a half or eight years, almost nine. It doesn't, yet, uh, eight, eight and a half, I'm sorry, eight and a half years. Eight and a half um, years for the whole trial process to be over. Yeah, and, and we never even made it to trial. We ended up settling for a plea. You know, goodness sakes, I could have done that after the first year, year and a half. You know, but it saved the taxpayers a ton of money, you know, uh, uh, of what this has cost, this, you know, the state of Oregon. Prosecutors have plea bargained out a case where this suspect murdered your, your police officer brother. They did because, partly because we had a terrible judge. The judge just could not make a decision. The judge catered to the defense at every turn and whim. Anything the defense asked for, he granted. When the DA would, would rebuttal that, he'd tell the DA to be quiet. Uh, for some reason, that judge just took a, a um, he felt more compassion for the murder, murderer than he did for the officer that was killed. And that's, that's something that's not unique. It, people. No. We have a criminal justice system, and, and the criminals have all the rights. The victims don't. That, and if someone was killed, it's it's not that they didn't exist or they don't matter, but they're not in the forefront. Right. It's not about no. procedure, making sure procedures are accurate for the person who's killed. is about the one who's on trial. And that's, a, I think, a source right. of frustration for a lot of people, especially those working law enforcement. Well, and you often hear, you know, that you'll hear that... Um, the criminal will say, well, I'm never going to get a, fight, a fair trial in that town. Well, in our, in our case, it would kind of be the opposite of that. Being a family uh, you know, of an officer, this judge was not going to, we just didn't think we were going to get a fair trial. So with all the scenarios, we had a retired judge come in and show us the different scenarios of what could happen. The plea was going to get him the most years for sure. And if we went to trial, because of their bringing in the mental instability play, um, that's a chance. I mean, there's this, there's a slim chance that he could have walked or he could have yeah. spent most of his time at the state hospital. And we didn't want to see that happen. We no. just figured the plea. Yes. Yes. He's going to spend some time at the state hospital, but he's going to spend the majority of his time at the, uh, in prison. And that's where he belongs so, for what he did. Uh, it is where he belongs. How would you describe where you're at now, uh, mentally and emotionally? I, I think I'm in a pretty good place. Um, I don't know if I mentioned on the show typically, but I'm, I am a Christian, and I uh, go to church. I have my faith and my mom, and she raised us that way. I have my faith to fall back on. And I think uh, the COPS organization has a little book like, book out called Better Not Bitter. And I got that book shortly after uh, the associate pastor told me that, and I thought, wow, timing couldn't have been better. Um, and I tried, to, I tried to really stick to that advice. Uh, you, you can't become bitter over something like this. Uh, angry? Yeah. Hurt, you know, um, a hurt, um, emotions run the gamut, all that. But if you allow that bitterness to take over you, it's just going to make you sick, and it's going to take, it's going to have an effect on your life. And I'm, I'm not going to give him that. I'm not going to give the guy that shot my brother that the benefit of that. Powerful last words, uh, Alan Painter. Thanks know, so much true. for 
coming on the Law Enforcement Today show and sharing your story is very much appreciated. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.